And we are live with our 62nd episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the show uh, once again. Uh, this is number 62. We're joined uh, this week by some of the organizers for Global AppSec DC. I, I still have a problem with that, Dula and Ben. You know, the fact that it's not AppSec USA anymore. I can't yeah. seem to wrap my wrap my head around it, right? <laughs> Even though we already had Global AppSec Tel Aviv, like they just changed the name on us, right? Um, but we're joined by Abdullah and Ben. We'll get into that shortly. Uh, those guys, you know, what they're doing over there and their backgrounds. Um, but welcome to the show. Um, this week, I don't think we have a lot of announcements. Uh, Ken and I will be at um, Black Hat EU in London in December. We're teaching our... Seth and Ken's Excellent Adventures in Secure Code Review course, once again. Um, and hopefully there's a couple other places that are coming up that, you know, we've got the training in at other at other events. Uh, speaking of which, Abdullah, right? <laughs> we've got AppSec, um, AppSec Day in Melbourne, too. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't discount that with Julian. We've been accepted there. I, I think, Ken, you're speaking there as well. My talk got picked up as well. Um, yep. So Chris Gates will be. Chris Gates. Yeah. Yep. Yep. We're gonna do a. We're gonna do like. A, so we did all these DevOps talks before. We've been doing them since I think. Since Britney Spears was irrelevant. <laughs> yeah, for for a long time. And for this one, we're gonna actually instead of talking about research, we're gonna be talking about what happened in our own professional work lives. Uh, stories from our from our experiences of uh, where. DevOps stuff went wrong, so it should cool. be good. Let uh, let Ben and I know if you want to dry run that at uh, OWASP Nova. Absolutely. I I actually did respond to Ben, so uh, yeah, totally. Yeah, we're trying to coordinate. Yeah. Um. So we, I don't think there's anywhere else, Seth, that I can think of that we are going to be. No, I mean, that, that's that's official right now. Yeah, I definitely I'll be at DEF CON. I am still on the info booth doing the hacker tracker stuff. That new version should be out within the next couple of weeks for this year. Um, and then, like, hopefully we're making it easier so people can load other conferences in there as well, uh, like local B-Sides events and things like that. Um, it's slowly getting better. Anyway, uh, so you can find us, obviously, online at any point, uh, you know, at Absolute AppSec or send us an email. Uh, get your questions in now for Ben and Dula, whether that's in the Slack channel or on the YouTube live page. Um, and we'll be monitoring that as we go throughout the day. But the, to kick things off, I do, we do we are finally getting to the AppSec Minute today. Um, and Ken's going to do that. I think we're on number two in Portswigger's Top 10 Web Hacking Techniques of 2018, if I remember correctly, right? Yep. No, this will be uh, another episode of Ken Explains Something Badly. <laughs> can so, uh, explain something badly. So we're going to do a series on that, just short <laughs> ones, right? Between that and logical ruins infosec, we should be good. So um, yeah, number two, what is it? Practical web cache poisoning. I think I've got yeah, and I mean it's it's from James Kettle, who you know works at Portsburger slash Burp. Um, he announced so he he basically like he has this 
sort of like whole series of things that he that he kind of shows you can do when you've got um, cash poisoning. Uh, so <clears throat> to sort of well, there's a couple things. First, we have to describe what that is, and then talk a little bit about the. Secondly, talk a little bit about the uh, tool that he has and, uh, to help with that, and then um, maybe give some like practical examples that he shows on on this article. And speaking of the article, I'll put uh, the link in right now. To oh, oh wait, dropped you already dropped it. Sorry, my bad. Cool. So if you could just drop that in the YouTube live chat too. Yep. So the basic gist is, um, so if you're familiar with uh, like CDNs where content is distributed um, and cached, so like requests are cached, right? So the, the, the idea being certain things, um, we, and we talked a little bit about this uh, before when we were talking about edge side inclusion and talking about the concept of caching, but some things don't change, right? Like you make a request off, page comes back, response comes back from the web server, and instead of having the next 100,000 users uh, hit the web server to make that same request and, and have that app do the, the you know, process that request and send a response back, if it's not changing, then the, the theory is, okay, cool. Well, like, let's just cache that and just serve that to people when they request it and it won't even hit like the web server. <clears throat> that is the general gist of caching. And the idea is sometimes you have like, one of the things he talks about in this article, sometimes you have XSS that you can't necessarily distribute to other people. So you have like an effective XSS attack vector, like the, the application's vulnerable to XSS. But again, like you, for whatever reason, can't um, distribute it to other people. So this is a good time, if you have cache poisoning, to figure to basically poison a page and have that rendered back to people um, so that the XSS content XSS attack payload is sent out to those folks. So um, we talked just a little bit about caching. The tool is, um, the tool name is, I'm gonna explain what it does. Sorry, I just had it in front of me. Um, I think it's Param Miner. Yeah, Param Miner. And uh, let me put that link in real quick. So what Param Miner does uh, is, uh, oh, and thank you for the compliment, Ryan Reed. Appreciate that. Um, <clears throat> so what Param Miner does is it basically finds out what is considered unkeyed input. And unkeyed input means, means that you can change that data and it will not affect like the, the, the response that's cached, right? So uh, for instance, if I send a request to forward slash, I don't know, test, right? And maybe there's a parameter that it accepts, or there's something it accepts that if it changes, like it, it doesn't matter because the, the same, like that same request to forward slash test will be cached. <clears throat> Why that's important is, so that's kind of the, the idea of param miner is it sends all these, it sends all, it's basically trying to figure out where stuff is cached and where you can get that reflected back. And then also more importantly, it's figuring out how, like it, it injects these random values into the request so that it doesn't actually poison other people. Cause you could very quickly through testing, start poisoning a bunch of users. So if you don't want to do that, this is a good tool for that. So now that you know what is considered unkeyed input um, and you find like, okay, let's say this unkeyed input is reflected back as like script alert, whatever. 
okay, cool. You've just found XSS that can be cached uh, because like we'll say in, into the, the, when you make the request to four slash test, pass in a parameter value that maybe has this script alert that gets echoed back in the response, but it's not used as like the cache uh, as that, like a key to cache. So just four slash test is. So now anybody that sends a request to four slash test will have that like JavaScript sent back to them in the response. Cause that has been cached. If that makes any sense at all. It's a little hard to do without a whiteboard and we do have the article here. And again, it's another episode of me explaining things terribly, <laughs> but you know, hopefully that does help. So using the concept of caching, using param miner to find out like what, where interesting keys might be. And then, um, yeah, actually injecting your, your, like, let's say XSS payload. Now that's the example of XSS, but real quick before we go on, there's other things that, um, he shows, um, I think one of the interesting things was manipulating the cache key so that you can request um, internal resources. It almost sounds like SSRF. So he calls it route poisoning. And um, you'll find it on that page that uh, that uh, um, Seth linked. So go down to route poisoning. You'll see an example of that. It shows it on goodhire.com. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't I mean, think there's start. anything else I wanted. Oh, go ahead. No, I like there's, I, I know we always kind of jump on XSS, right? You know, just because of the payouts and it's pretty easy to see, but I like, I almost feel like some of those others, like the route poisoning stuff is more dangerous um, just overall, as far as, Hey, maybe I can use that to get access to access to those internal resources or other I mean, SSRF in general, like injection of those types feels like it's more risky or there's more threat there than something like cross-site scripting. Um, but that's just me. I mean, like if I was rating that, like if I found it in some some app, Ken, have you ever dealt with this kind of cache poisoning? I, I mean, I know you're at GitHub. You guys obviously have some sort of CDN in place. Is that something that you, you guys have discussed? Um. I wouldn't say, I don't think that I've seen, okay, I, I know I haven't seen any cash poisoning um, being reported through our bounty um, and not something we typically see discussed. Um, doesn't mean it's not prevalent elsewhere for sure. Okay. All right. Well, it's something else that should be, you know, we should, you got to pay attention to, right? If you're using any sort of CDN and how you're actually caching stuff. So Go read the article. It's pretty good. Um, James Kettle always has good feedback and I mean, good research, right? Uh, there's a lot of coming out of Portswigger there that's very interesting. Yeah, the, the part of that that's interesting is also, it, it's not, it doesn't seem like it's all that easy to fix either. I mean, it's uh, once it exists, it's, it's a bit challenging. Um, you really have to spend some time trying to figure out um, how you want to architect the solution to fix the issue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at that point, it's not necessarily your code. It's like the CDN itself and how it caches things. And you've got to, you got to make sure that it plays nicely together. Right. There's that again, like I feel like a lot of application security is weird edge cases, right? Yeah. This is again, one of those weird edge cases where you've got two different systems uh, that are acting exactly how they're supposed to act and somebody can take advantage of them. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So that's web cache poisoning. Um, all right, so I guess we dive in and we introduce uh, Dula and Ben. Um, 
Uh, we've known Abdullah for years. Uh, Ken and I have. I, this is the first time I've seen Ben face to face. So hi, Ben. <laughs> hey, how's it going? Um, these guys are organizing, or they're on the committee to organize Global AppSec DC. Um, and maybe what we'll do is just introductions first off. I, uh, Ken, did you have uh, some background that you wanted to do on both of them? No, I was just going to mention that Abdullah has uh, definitely spoken at um, various OWASP conferences. And both Ben and Abdullah run the OWASP Nova. So our local to where I'm at, Northern Virginia, local uh, OWASP chapter, which has been... Um, <clears throat> Not to toot your you all's horn, but one of the uh, one of the um, better attended, um, uh, well ran, I would say, uh, OWASP meetups. So very good, a very well run uh, meetup. All comes down to the pizza. Can't <laughs> <laughs> people show up for food? Is that what you're saying? Uh, Chick fil A is the key. If if you tell them Chick fil A is there, they will come. Um, yep. Definitely can test to that. Cool. Well, yeah, let's have uh, each of you give just a little bit of background, uh, what you're currently doing, you know, maybe, you know, just a couple of minutes. Abdullah, do you want to start? Yeah, sure. So um, <clears throat> I'm currently a uh, application security architect at Appian. Um, so Appian is a, uh, is a software company that specializes in a low-code platform uh, for developing enterprise applications. Um, so uh, in my role, uh, basically what I'm doing is I am helping to build the application, the internal application security program for the organization. Um, so, you know, everything from SAS, DAS to threat modeling, as well as doing a uh, OWASP uh, SAM assessment on the organization and kind of evaluating the maturity of the program. Um, ben, you want to go for it? Yeah, sure, sure. So I am a, an application security analyst at Invisium, and we are a local to this area, Northern Virginia, D.C., uh, consulting firm that does assessments on applications. It can be uh, the applications themselves and the source code. It can be the cloud infrastructure and architecture. Uh, we also do some work in the mobile environment as well. So it's really kind of a wide slate of the assessments that are performed. And then we go through and uh, really give good guidance on how to resolve those issues. So for instance, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll two weeks I'll get, you know, the, it's a typical assessment. I'll get a source code, I'll get a URL, maybe an account, and just sort of have at what I can within the application. And then it's what can I find based on what I can find, how would that be resolved, and then moving forward from there. Cool. And, and Ben, just because I, like, I'm, mm -hmm. I don't, like, we haven't ever really chatted before. So, you know, what did you do before you were a consultant? Like, what brought you into apps, you know, AppSec specifically? I, like, we, we always find it interesting because everybody's path is different, right? Right. So uh, this will be a really wide, wide range of years, but I'm going to try and keep it as short as possible. So I graduated, um, you know, about a decade ago with an engineering degree, and I got a job at a company that was expecting engineering work down the line, but at the moment, all they had was development work. So from there, I started, you know, I said, yeah, I'll, I'll come in and I'll do this development work, but, you know, I really want to get back into that engineering stuff. And then 
they had an opening in a training program for security. And so one thing just led to another from there. And then I got certified through SANS. And then, you know, 10 years later, I'm doing um, almost entirely uh, security work. So it's just sort of one thing led to another that uh, fell in line for me. Cool. So what, from uh, engineering, sorry. Uh, mechanical, mechanical engineering. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Uh, yeah. I mean, we see a lot of EEs, but not as many like mechanical engineers in the you know development space. So. True. But I, again, it comes back to the development side where I had kind of an affinity for it in school and then just sort of grew that into a career and then just kept training and training and training until I ended up in security. Cool. Cool. Ken, did you have a different question there? No, 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 no. Same question. Um, <laughs> But I was curious to ask, also like with SANS, what SANS class, did, what SANS certification did you go to? Oh, I had a lot um, when I first, this was like a massive program that the company was holding. So at one point I had like six or seven of them. Um, I started off with Security Plus, uh, the, the G-Pen I think I still have, the Incident Handler, there was one in Forensics. So kind of just a wide slate. Was there one for AppSec that you took that you would recommend? Um, there was, I didn't, I didn't actually take it at that time. And it's been years since I took that course. So I don't honestly remember what it was, but they did have a good, um, uh, web application one. Uh, okay. but I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head. I'm sorry. Ah, sweet. Well, no worries. <laughs> um, I, Abdul, I did have a question for you, which was like, since you're fairly new to where, you know, fa fairly new to your role, like what has been your plan to sort of get things off the ground like what are some of the just for those that maybe are coming in fresh to a new program as well um what are some things that you know you're focused on maybe that they could take away and use themselves yeah so that's that's a great question um <clears throat> i think the best thing to do really uh is do a uh, a sam assessment and you can do a sam self assessment or you can you can bring in a third-party assessor uh, what that does is it breaks down the entire organization it it takes a look at the various components of the maturity of a software assurance program and it gives you a, a really in-depth look at what the organization is doing well and what the organization isn't doing well you can take the deficiencies uh, and essentially create a project of, of, of milestones and timelines and things like that on how you want to address those deficiencies. Um, within SAM, uh, the scorecard, you can even do what-if scenarios of if you were to kind of boost this or implement this, how much of an impact would it have on the score? How much would it help um, increase it. And so basically you can create a multi-year plan off of what you found in the SAM of, of the roadmap for this application security program. So I, I highly recommend everybody that's interested or, or have just come in to it just for a worthwhile exercise, uh, do the SAM. The other thing that SAM is going to do is if you're new to the organization, you're going to get to meet a bunch of folks. You're going to get to meet the people uh, and, and start these relationships with individuals that, that you're going to be working really closely with where, you know, they're going to have to trust you and you're going to have to trust them. And so you establish those relationships and uh, you kind of get a, a, a you get that working relationship started. So uh, I, I think for a lot of reasons, Sam is really the place to start.
and then you can just take it from there. Did you lean? Did you reach out to uh, Brian Glass for any of that? Uh, Brian, who's now he's a professor, I believe, at uh, college. Yeah. Did you did you were you able to reach out to him at all? Ask any questions? Yeah, I mean, I'm in constant contact with Brian. Uh, you know, him and I talk quite frequently. I, I I learned how to do SAM assessments from Brian. Him and I did uh, a bunch. Uh, uh, together and so that really helped me understand, um, you know, kind of how to how to evaluate a program. And so yeah, I'm taking a lot of the things that that I did with Brian and I and kind of applying it toward what I'm doing right now. That's why it's so awesome to go between consulting and we've talked about this several times on the podcast. It's nice to bounce sometimes, like do consulting for a little bit. Then go blue team, maybe go back to consulting and having that mix. Is, it just gives you like, because there's totally different perspectives there. But uh, in your case, you're able to take some of the, you know, seeing different, because I know you did, we'd work together. Uh, I think Seth might have mentioned that at the beginning, like we all worked together and you had done a lot of these sorts, uh, like built, basically like helping people manage and run a, a large scale program. That was one of the things you, you had done when we worked together. But it sounds like, you know, you've, got some experience from going in and doing these uh, open SAM assessments with uh, Brian on different yeah, companies. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a trend of, of individuals moving from consulting into internal teams and vice versa. You know, I, I was at a point in my career, the majority of the time I have done consulting. Um, and so I wanted a, a, a situation where I could, you know, really just focus on one set of problems, focus on one set of tasks and, and kind of, um, you know, help improve upon a, an existing program and just kind of focus on that. And, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy to, to have that opportunity. Nice. Very awesome. Um, Seth, did you have any questions on that? Not necessarily. I was like, you know, I, I did wonder, you know, how's it going so far? Like how do you, um, like when you're when you're implementing SAM, right, or you're you know conducting that, you know maturity like the interviews and everything that, that goes along with that. Mm -hmm. How are you uh, like? How are you finding the reception? I, I mean, I know it, it it varies from organization to organization, right? Mm -hmm. um, and obviously, the more mature that they are, the more receptive they are to actually answering questions about their security practices and everything like that. Um, you know, how have you found the uptick there at Appian as you've been? trying to implement it. So, you know, the, the, the great thing here, um, and, you know, we've, we've all been in the consulting boat and we've all seen our share of, of you know, clients that fall on either end of the spectrum of being very receptive to being, uh, you know, feeling like you're the enemy walking in there. And, and the great thing is, is that um, uh, corporate culture is something that you really can't teach. It's really not something... Um, that can just change overnight. And so walking into an organization that has this amazing corporate culture, um, it makes things so much easier where everybody is just so, uh, you know, receptive where, okay, yeah, we may, we may or may not do something, but cool that you're the security person. Let's have a conversation. Um, and, and, you know, let's work toward something, uh, We've we've all been in clients where you know we get on site and I you know I remember I, I think Ben can tell the story better than I can because it happened to Ben, 
but you know, he got there and he was given a uh, like a lawn chair to sit on. <laughs> yeah yeah there were uh park benches that they kind of i don't understand how they ate on them because they were basically for like kids but that was what uh myself and one of our other guys uh duane were working out of for that week um and then you know after the first day they sort of pulled over a second chair but yeah those were kind of rough Hard, so was it one of those ones on that's only like two feet off the ground? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Uh, it was it was a full size person, but it was definitely very very low. No, question: Was there play doh? No, no. <laughs> this wasn't really a kid friendly space, so I don't know why they had the the benches there. But I guess people ate lunch on them when they brought the food uh, brought the food in. And they were playing ping pong in the background, right? Yeah, yeah, that too. You guys were trying. To... There was a there was a pool oh. table too. Where is this? I mean, <laughs> where were you doing an assessment should, should at? We publicly shame. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'd rather not. But it was it was a West Coast customer, so. You know. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. So, well, you know, mean, so, so the first time Ken and I met, right? Like, we, like we just so like this is way back in the fishnet days. Like we, I, I had just hired him on and we had to go on site for a client, but the client didn't want us on site. Like we went on site for two weeks and we never went to the client site once. We spent hmm. the whole time in the hotel at the, like at, at their like, yeah, conference room there because they're like, oh, well we want you here, but we don't really want you here. I, yeah. I mean, so the same sort of thing. And, right? and the funny thing is they had to pay to send us home for the weekends. Like that yeah. was the company policies. We don't stay there for the weekend. So two weeks in a row, we had to fly there fly fly back home and then you know fly back and and sit there in this i don't know it was like a ramada or something like that that's you know miles and from the hq but within the same town and we just yeah, yeah. just sat in yeah. a conference room and never went on site to the actual client I never even met our contact face to face or maybe we <laughs> did at lunch one day you know but i i i think you know having a you know as kids bench but probably takes the cake a little bit so <laughs> yeah that definitely oh. takes the cake <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. Uh, having the bench there is still, it, it, it's it's questionable whether or not that's better than not having any space at all. So, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think the hotel is, is probably comfier. Yeah. This, this is your, this is our list of priorities. Oh, you get the bench. <laughs> well, they did have ping pong and a pool table. So it can't be that bad. Right. <laughs> yeah. so. Sweet. Yeah, there's okay. all kinds of crappy situations you come across in consulting, weird things. And this is the fun fun one, too, is like, yeah, just going to these random little small towns you never thought you'd go to, and you didn't know they existed. I've definitely done that, or I'm just like, where am I? What is this? Mm-hmm. So, good times. Good times. But you learn a lot, so. Yeah, yeah you yeah. definitely do, right? Seeing a lot of different things. I mean, it helps, like, Abdullah, now that you're back in that corporate situation, right? You know, being able to take that experience and apply it at some new place makes a big difference yeah i I can fully appreciate uh, a security-minded corporate culture uh and and willingness to kind of adapt and change and and evolve and progress um that's uh that's not something i take for granted (laughs) at all (laughs) yeah culture is huge yeah Cool. You have to interview, yeah. Like when you do your interviews to go somewhere to build up, especially if you're building a program, like those interviews are crucial to find out like how the execs really feel and 
you know, cause that's what matters obviously is from the top and how that spreads out to the, the creates the culture. So yeah. that's some critical thing to do when you're interviewing. Yeah, absolutely. So, cool. Um, do we want to talk Seth about, do we want to shift over to how to run a conference and meetup? Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's talk through that. Like I, I'm, I'm pretty interested, especially on the meetup side. I know you guys are running that successful OWASP chapter there. Um, like, you know, we, me and a couple of the other guys here in Salt Lake City have been talking about our OWASP chapter and how like dysfunctional it actually is. Um, so maybe let's start there and then let, then we can talk into conferences as well. Like I have helped with like B-sides and, you know, like HackWest in the past, but it'd be interesting to get your take on this like national conference. Because I know, Abdullah, you were involved with it last time around. That it was yeah. at BC, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's kind of another level, uh, you know, obviously I do like the hacker tracker stuff for DEF CON, but that's like, that's so like small pieces compared to running the conference itself. So, um, yeah. I, I, so let's, let's start with just like the local chapter, right? I mean, Dula, are you the actual chapter lead now or is that you, Ben, or who's it's, actually running that? Uh, it's been both of us. Yeah. In combination. Yeah. Um, if you want to talk about the local chapter, Ben, go for it. Sure, sure. So honestly, well, up until recently, we had a really perfect space for uh, for where we would meet. Um, uh, is that like a sponsored space? Is that what? No. You're, uh, well, we sort of fell into it. Um, it was a this open. I yeah, know how you fell into it. <laughs> it was because you're looking at how you fell into it. <laughs> right. So there was kind of a space where one person had at one point worked in the building and, you know, years and years later, we were still using their community uh, community room for um, to host our meetings, which has been absolutely fantastic because it's a kind of a free space that uh, nobody was using. So all you have to do is just bring in guests, bring in food, bring in people. But we have one place that we can consistently go to and congregate at. Um, I think currently they're going through renovations, but uh, at our last meetup we had there, uh, I was unaware of this. You were still allowed to reserve rooms, and I show up, and there's just a wall where a uh, door used to be. I saw that. Ooh. I saw that picture posted. <laughs> so we kind of had to scramble there. There was apparently a conference room in the basement, which um, the, the, the people who were in the building were nice enough to lend out to us as long as we you know, obviously took care of it. But it means that now, for the near future, at least, we'll try and uh, find a place. But honestly, managing those, it, it all comes down to our community. So finding really helpful people and you know, making those connections and then just bringing them into our chapter. Uh, everybody I talk to in the industry has been extremely helpful. They're always willing to donate their time and support and whatever we need to further you know, the knowledge sharing, the education. And they, you know, show up and have a wonderful talk. Or if you're at a conference and you, um, you know, you, you see a wonderful talk, you get somebody's business card, you talk to them and just invite them back. I mean, that's how I've gotten a couple of people this year to come in and speak. So how, did, how does it become an OWASP official sort of meetup? I'm curious about that. You were asking the wrong person. Uh, Abdul, you want to handle that? Because I'm I'm a fresh blood there. Well, and the reason I bring that up, I want to clarify the reason. The reason I'm asking that is, well, obviously for other people to, to know, but the the other the other reasons, like, because you got to have funds, right? Because sometimes you all uh, have to sort of like cover some costs of a speaker um, or it's to like, you know, help with, you know, contributing funds to whatever like 
a wasp thing event um and then I, I, you know you've got to have a, a, a presumably some um designated leads and maybe some chapter rules or something i mean like i don't really know but i'd imagine it's more than just like hey i want to do a meetup like yeah. we're we're done that's it so you need to have a sponsor uh for new chapters um you need to coordinate with OWASP global and they will you know uh kind of look at making sure that you know if there's if there's another chapter that's like five miles away they're gonna say hey why don't you just go kind of join that other chapter but if there's a if there's a if there's an area and and there's enough of an interest and you you're able to have a sponsor um and you apply and request for that that chapter they'll they'll stand up they'll let you stand up the chapter uh, I believe they'll give you seed money, um, not like a crazy amount, but but enough to get started to kind of get you on your feet. Um, the you know the interesting thing is a lot of OWASP chapters uh, they'll do quarterly meetups. Um, there's not a, a huge amount amount that are doing monthly meetups the way Ben and I are, the way really OWASP Nova has always been. Um, I, I think our biggest challenge or at least my, in my opinion, uh, Ben, you can, you can kind of, you know, say what your biggest challenge is, is, is really getting uh, quality speakers uh, that have something interesting to present. Uh, and that is also not a sales pitch. Um, yeah. You know, OWASP is a nonprofit. Uh, so you know, our professional, like what we do in our day jobs has to be separate from what we do for OWASP. And so, uh, you know, under no circumstances do we do are we okay with people coming in and kind of uh, giving a, a sales pitch on a product? If it's a product or a tool of some kind, there has to be an open source version that the community can generally benefit from. Um, so, you know, Ben and I will kind of reach out to various folks and and kind of uh, get get those talks going and schedule them out. But you know, oftentimes we, we have to be careful, especially with folks that we don't personally know, uh, because it, it, it's kind of that. Oh, well, you know, I'm kind of here to sell something, and it's like, no, I, I'm sorry, we can't do that. Yeah, I mean, thing is though, like, I think we should make the distinction because there's no, like, there's no. It's different when you come there and you've got some interesting research and you say, hey, I work for so-and-so and maybe it's even on your slides at like a footer or something like that versus saying like, you know, here's my product that we're selling and here's all the like, the whole talk is on like this tool that you have to buy. Like right. that'd be an overt sales pitch. Whereas, and I think this is an important distinction because like if the, I had imagined financially the chapter can't support every month flying out somebody. So sometimes presumably somebody, you know, says, okay, I, I've had this talk scheduled, um, or I, sorry, I have this talk built. Um, I'll, I'll come out there. You don't have to pay my expenses, but like, I'm going to mention who I work for. You know, that's, I feel like that's a normal trade-off that you see It's like, okay, mm -hmm. cool. Like you're paying for your expenses. Um, don't sit here and talk about selling the product the whole time, but it's absolutely fine. Like if your company's paying for you to come there, like, yeah, so, you know, at least that's my interpretation. I don't know if that's, yeah. yeah. And a couple of times we've actually had it line up perfectly. So I've gotten um, Johannes Ulrich from uh, the ISC, uh, the SANS Internet Storm Center. And 
he happened to be teaching a course in the area. So at uh, Reston Town Center, which is right near where we hold our meetings. And so he was teaching a week long course. And then I just reached out to him and asked if, you know, one of the days afterwards, if he mind just giving a one hour talk. So he was already in the area. Um, the It was a conference itself. So they had already provided all the food and they were in a hotel. So all we had to do was just stay after for an hour a little bit later in the day and then just get people to show up. So a lot of times it kind of works with what people's schedule is. Um, and also coordinating just in the area too, because we alone in DC, Virginia have some fantastically uh, capable secure professionals who are also wonderful speakers. And so they are you know, willing to fight traffic and come out and talk with us too, so. What are the keys to cultivating like a, a good crowd, a, you know, the good, a good attendee? Um, you know, what are some of the things you guys focus on to to cultivate, like having the the right sort of uh, like pot? You know what I mean? When I say right, I mean like you know attendees that are engaged, positive. Right. You know, obviously that's not you know coming to. I hate when people do this. There, there's there's often since you we've all been to a lot of different meetups. I hate that there's usually one person who you cannot get rid of who is just the most antagonistic person uh, towards speakers. I've seen that before. Um, really hasn't happened to me personally too much, but I've seen it happen to other people. And it's like, you know, those, those, those are the folks when I say like the right kind of people, like you don't want people that are just outright yeah. dicks basically. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, luckily we haven't had to deal with that. We do get a lot of people who might ask a lot of questions and then it just becomes a matter of cutting them off just because of time restraints. Uh, but we, I, or I personally have never had to deal with somebody like harassing anybody, uh, any of the speakers or um, really pushing them in, in, in a given way. And honestly, in situations that might arise from like this back and forth or just a one, one person continually pestering them, a lot of times it's, the, the speaker themselves can is adapted and they can say like, oh, well, we'll just you know talk with this later or let's get back to the focus of the talk or something along those lines. So I don't think I've ever really had to step in and stop somebody. And, you know, in any situation that might come from that, it was you know handled by the speaker themselves. Yeah. I mean, you guys, like I said, you guys have a really good group and I'm curious what, what all you do to promote that group. So, so yeah, the, um, we have, you know, we have a core group of folks that will pretty much come out every month, regardless of topic and speaker. Um, and then we have another kind of uh, subset of, of groups that will come out based upon the speaker and the topic. So when we have like a, somebody from Nova Hackers come out, um, you know, kind of the, the Nova Hacker crowd comes out, the offensive security crowd comes out. Uh, if we have a, a language specific or more of a developer centric talk, then, you know, you kind of have some of the dev groups come out. Um, and so it's kind of that core group and then just kind of the groups that pivot around it that'll kind of come out, so subsets. Um, and, and, you know, Meetup has been really influential. It's just such, a, such an easy way to get the message out, uh, notify and manage uh, things, post, post things, and communicate with the community directly, people who have questions or, or are unsure of something. Uh, you know, Ben and I get messages all the time, um, and most of them are not spam. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we're able to directly uh, interact. And, I mean, ben, ben, how many people do we, we have? A, like a couple thousand 
Yeah, on the meetup group, uh, I believe so. It's well over a thousand. Let me check. Yeah. Yeah, we're at two thousand plus two thousand one hundred twenty members. Yeah. Nice. And and so yeah, you get a lot of variation. Um, I mean, it's great to see new people come out. It's great to see uh, you know the same folks come out because uh, you know it means that we're, we're we have interesting topics uh, that people keep coming back, and then we have interesting topics to where new people are interested in something and want to come out for the first yeah. time. And, and you guys always have really good speakers. Like you, you. <laughs> I mean, definitely, I've driven out more than once because I'm just like that's a really interesting person that you would normally have to go to a conference to see speak and you, you have them regularly as speakers. So that's super impressive. Do you have to report, like, do you have to report to the, the OWASP mothership, so to speak? Do you like, do you do like a quarterly financials or anything like that? Like that you have to, I have no idea how that works. So. Yeah. So every chapter has a budget. Um, we, we have a fixed budget and as long as um, I, I do, a budget every year or two, I think. And so as long as, uh, you know, those chapter funds are allocated for various areas, you know, just kind of make sure everything is accounted for. Um, and so, you know, our budget goes toward food. It goes toward, in the case that we end up having to fly somebody out um, and just some general supplies and things like that for the chapter. Uh, so for instance, um, you know, uh, when um, we normally have a cooler in that that original room, but we didn't have that room, so we needed a way to keep our drinks cold. So I had to run out to CVS and and buy a ginormous cooler, and so you know I had to expense that. So that's a chapter fund. Nice. Um, yeah. So what are like the biggest challenges that you guys have, right? Uh, just in running the chapter, what what do you think those are? Um, I mean, honestly, the biggest no challenges. It's all easy. No, 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 no. Uh, it's going to sound weird saying this, but honestly, the biggest challenge is weather. Um, you can get like a perfect candidate lined up, and this is year-round, really. So there might be a really terrible rainstorm that sends off uh, traffic up and down four nine five. So that cuts off, you know, half the people who are planning on showing up. Or you might have just a massive uh, snowstorm where we need to uh, make a decision on whether or not we delay or whether, you know, what, what happens uh, that way. So the biggest challenge I've always had is just finding a way to get everyone to the location. Yeah, Seth, I don't know if I've mentioned this to you, but the weather here is bananas. It's always <laughs> it's like yesterday it was sunny, hot. And then at like seven o'clock to Ben's point, I was driving and uh, to go to a, like, I was just eight minutes away from this place from between my house and this place. And like it, all of a sudden just this flash flood hit right in the middle of like a sunny day. And then it was gone in like 10 minutes. It's just, it's banana. It's like, it's a lot like Texas weather. I, I think it's similar in some ways, except for we get the snow, like you mentioned in the winter. Yeah, and it's not just, no, I like that's interesting, right? Just getting people out. I, I mean, because I've like, I mean, I've been all across the country speaking at meetups and other stuff, right? And you know, it's it's always crazy to get down to like Silicon Valley and go speak at a developer meetup there, and then just the pure numbers of people that show up or sign up to be there is crazy, mm -hmm. right? Um, and it's like their whole problem is you know making sure that the crowd is really interested in the topic. 
because everybody is just jumping from, hey, this is what I do at night because this is what feeds me every night, right? Like there's things like that that go on that as opposed to, you know, maybe traffic. I, I can understand that having been to DC, just traffic and getting places is you have to plan like four hours in advance, right? Just to, you know, make it 10 miles. So, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we, we used to I've just dealt with this, by the way. <laughs> yeah. We we used to at one point record the, the meetups and we used to even broadcast them, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, it, it, first off, it was kind of a pain to do it, and second of all, um, it, you know, we the part of the meetup, one of the main parts of the meetup is the meetup itself. Yeah, um, it's the conversations that happen before and after uh, the actual talk. It's it's the the being within the community and speaking to individuals within the community and the relationships that you establish. And so we kind of felt that that's one of the strongest parts of it is to have people come out and, and see each other in person. I know us, us uh, the devs and AppSec folk don't like to uh, go anywhere, um, kind of stay in our houses in the dark, but you know, we got to go out once in a while and put on a clean shirt and <laughs> got to put on pants, yeah, exactly. brush your teeth, I guess. Yeah. I mean, exactly. for us, for us, some of our meetups actually help with that because you have a place to go in between work to delay fighting rush hour. So, you know, we're right there in that tech quarter, and we definitely get some good pool of uh, brilliant people from from that resting area. Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. And it, I actually I was telling Seth, I'm like, you need to drive after 7 p.m. Don't bother before. And mm-hmm. you're right. Like, if you're if you're starting your your meetup at six six thirty something like that, or even seven, you know, it's like you're yeah, you, when you're done with that, it's good. It's good. Re- it's good reason to go and skip traffic. That's, so, and, and you know, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, what I was gonna say is the you know the other thing is is so I've been running the chapter now for I think this is my fifth year, um, and so uh, we've benefited just from the area and and the fact that the OWASP chapter, this Northern Virginia chapter has been around for a really long time and they've, they um, are very well established and just the DC, the DMV area that we live in is a very uh, tech centric area. Um, so all of those things makes our chapter just kind of on its own, very strong. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, like, I always think about the cadence too, right? The fact that you guys are doing it regularly every month, like people get used to that idea that, oh, it's just they check it. Even if they don't show up every month, it's, hey, I, I know that there's always going to be one next month that doesn't necessarily get, you know, canceled or whatever that often. So, I mean, personally, I can see how that would help. That's that's one of the big complaints that I've had locally is, hey, the, the chapter might meet or it might not. And there's not a lot of good communication. And, you know, there, there needs to be some changes basically for the, the local chapter that I've got. But Hence all the questions. So no, that's fair. So based on yeah. our APPs, Ben, what's the percentage that we do for food? Is it fifty percent or what? About that, yeah, fifty, maybe forty. Um, just because we have a large number of people who are, like you said, interested in the event and will RCP is yes, but they don't necessarily show up, or something might come up the day of. So I typically only estimate about forty, you know, forty percent of the people showing up. Okay. Because. <laughs> I made the mistake uh, during, during my first few uh, times and ended up purchasing way too many uh, pizzas and way too much food. <laughs> yeah. So. I can see that. Interesting. So cool. let's 
let's, I think, because we are, again, we always say this goes by quick. We've only got like 13 minutes left. We'll say, well, we can go a little bit over for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we should probably talk about, well, so Seth, you said it's global. I didn't even know that it's global AppSec DC, not AppSec USA. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So all of the AppSec conferences are now. Yeah. Well, Did so, they reach out to you all, or do you reach out to them for saying we're interested? Or how does that work? They reached out to us based upon the success of 2016. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, humble like, brag. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 2016 was great. I mean, we 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 had a great conference. Everybody involved did a great job and put in a lot of time and effort. Um, you know, I think it was a success. It came together. Uh, pretty well um but they they reached out to us um they've changed the model a little bit um but you know OWASP can be a bit inconsistent because there was some changeover there in the middle of kind of planning or the early stages of the conference so but but speaking with the global board uh what they had told me was they wanted to change it from USA and EU for AppSec conferences to just AppSec global events. And they did that because they didn't want, or they wanted the flexibility essentially to uh, be able to do a conference anywhere in the world. And so, you know, global AppSec DC, global AppSec Tel Aviv, uh, I believe there's gonna be a global AppSec event in Amsterdam. So mm-hmm. they, they just wanted the flexibility to kind of have it wherever. That makes sense, it makes sense as a change. I mean, so let, let's say they reach out to you. What are, what are the next steps? Like, can you give us sort of, can you guys give us sort of a high level on, all right, there's, it's, we've said we're going to do a conference, go. Like how many, you know, how many volunteers do you, core volunteers do you need? How do you go about booking a hotel? Like what are the, what are the things you have to start thinking about once you, um, and tasks you have to start delegating? Like keep it at high level, low level as you want. Just super curious. So I, I jotted a bunch of notes on this. So I guess I'll go through it. And then I guess like Ben, just chime in um, and tell yeah, sure. if I'm, yeah, if I forgot something. So first and foremost, um, you know, as early on, get somebody who is uh, involved in promotions of some kind. So advertisers, marketing, whomever, um, we are not, that I don't, we just, it's difficult to get the message out to various people in the community to kind of drive up uh, CFP submissions, uh, sponsorship, ticket sales, et cetera. Um, so the first thing that we start off with is kind of uh, picking venues and dates. So going to a bunch of different venues, speaking with the locations and ironing out dates. Uh, we took those dates back, venue and the dates back to the, the, the board and so the board will, uh, you know, kind of uh, take a look to see whether or not it works. Um, based upon the cost of the venue, you've got, uh, you, you know, you've got to be able to have a budget to allocate costs for food venue, prices of tickets, et cetera. Um, based on that, you're going to have to figure out tracks, how many can run concurrently, how many training sessions you can run concurrently. Uh, also, how many other activities can you do concurrently? Uh, light talks, uh, CTFs, uh, you know, various project summits, etc. Um, get the website up as quickly as you can. Um, 
talk with the committee about having a general theme and maybe not even general theme, but just a general direction for your tracks ahead of time before you open up the CFP and CFTs. Uh, and then based upon that, you kind of want to target your keynotes. Um, we've been really fortunate. Uh, our keynotes, uh, we have four keynotes this year. Uh, uh, James Wickett, um, Caroline Wong, and uh, Ben, you want to go over the other two? Yeah, yeah, sure. So we have Vandana Verma, and then we have a keynote who's working within the government. So we're trying to cultivate to the strengths of our general area by bringing in, you know, some people who might face different challenges than your average uh, corporate uh, security risks. Totally different threat profile for government in a lot of cases than commercial. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Well, a lot of different outcome too. Yeah. Or impact. So once you do the, um, once you do the, once you open up the CFP and CFT, you know, you have timelines for that. You want to have a really good sized group of individuals who are on the review committee, folks that know the subject matter pretty well to be able to review a CFP or a CFT and, and kind of um, grade it, you know, with, with a level of certainty. Um, you know, we, we, we decided that we're going to have about four to five people reviewing each and every single submission. So depending on how many submissions you have, you can kind of see that that number kind of balloons. So you want a very good core of consistent um, uh, uh, reviewers working on that committee. Once the, the, the review period is over, you want to open up ticket sales and that's really where promotions come in because you're going to have your keynotes lined up and you're going to have a general idea of, of your tracks and the uh, speakers that are going to give talks within those tracks. Um, you want to have at that point your volunteer signups open up. Uh, we need an army of volunteers in 2016. Um, uh, in 2016, we had Mike McBride, who I, I can't say enough about how amazing of a job Mike did. Um, he was the day of coordinator. He volunteered for that position. So he wrangled all of the tracks uh, across training and the conference. He wrangled all of the volunteers and was able to assign them jobs and, and responsibilities. Uh, he took care of all that stuff. And, and I'm yeah, I, I can't say enough about how great of a job Mike did during the conference. And so uh, then the other thing is you want to make sure like your, your AV, um, screens, projectors, uh, lapel mics, uh, or handheld microphones, um, dongles. I mean, I can't tell you there was with, with uh, Max moving over to USB-C, you know, people kind of scrambling for USB-C adapters and people were kind of walking away with them. So <laughs> we have to make sure we have plenty. Um, and then the other thing is, and, and OWASP kind of does this part, but it kind of goes without saying, you know, having a good setup for your sponsors. So uh, they create uh, sponsorship materials, a, a, a whole sponsorship packet on kind of the benefits of, of being a sponsor, the tiers, the pricing, and, and what incentives um, would a sponsor get for, for contributing to this conference. And all the while, once again, marketing and then uh, updating the site constantly to kind of keep that buzz going. Um, I know that was kind of 
a crazy amount. Yeah, that's. I, I mean, it's a lot to think about, right? For sure, and, and you know, and I, I, I'm sure having done it in 2016, it's helpful, right? And how much uh, direction then is OWASP giving you? Like, what what is kind of because I know that the the different global appsecs are run by the local chapters, mm-hmm. but global OWASP, right? They're or OWASP mothership also has some input into it. Mm-hmm. Like, what sort of direction do you get from them? Like, what, what, where does that division sit? So yeah, I'm, I'm been... curious too because I wanted to add to that. Like, when when they give direction, because like you mentioned the sound, like getting mics and stuff like that. Like, is that does that come from? Do they help out with that? Like, how does all this all? Where's the delineation? So, so in terms, oh, go ahead, go ahead man. I was going to say in terms of the content itself they have been largely hands-off. So when getting the hotel, getting the venue, organizing the food, all of the actual logistics of putting together the event, that's when we reach out to them, that's when we get support, that's when um, they manage the contracts with the hotels themselves. And then it's the really heart of the conference. So putting out information about the CFP, CFTs, you know, that that really fell on us. Uh, reviewing the CFTs, deciding who uh, who gets to speak and what they're speaking about at the conference, that falls on the local committee. And so they are basically giving this huge amount of infrastructure and then we're the ones who are sort of filling the house. Okay. Nice. You get to pretty much focus on the bits that make it special and unique to your area. And you get to, you know, as well as like cultivating the actual creative aspects, which are the talks and mm-hmm. training and things like that. And then, so I guess OWASP probably has like some legal team art and that team, like probably somebody with like a legal background who reviews those contracts and deals with that stuff. So do they, mm-hmm. so like the, the, you said the food, the hotel, uh presumably the website. yeah the website av all that stuff that's all OWASP. yes it's part of the contract uh, there is so there is a oasp av project um i'm not 100 percent sure that that project is going to do the recordings for uh the dc conference but in 2016 the hotel as part of the hotel contract provided all the av and then the uh, oasp project did all of the recordings um, that we were able to post on YouTube and all that. Uh, so that you know, that's something to take into consideration. There are plenty of companies out there that can be hired uh, to do that for you, uh, the recording and all of that, instead of uh, you know having it be volunteer based. It just depends on what your project budget is, or your, I should say, your conference budget. The other thing that I want to note is, in 2016, that's not the structure. Right. Uh, in 2016, the structure was basically the majority of everything fell on the local chapter, and it was exhausting. And uh, when they approached us about doing 2019, uh, we all needed to make sure that that model wasn't going to be repeated because I, I, I don't think there would be many people who would have it in them to do all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so they said basically like as ben had mentioned that they organized they they did all the top level organization the marketing the the handling of the sponsorships uh and left the local chapter to kind of focus on the meat and potatoes of the conference 
What's the average time investment for the two of you week by week on like a week by week basis at, uh, at both, you know, compared to like contrasted against 2016 and then what it is now? Abdullah, yeah. you got to talk about 2016. I wasn't uh, on the committee then. 2016 was a lot. It was, it was, a, it was, I don't know. It was, it was, it was a lot of work every single week. The thing of it is, is that the conference kind of has an ebb and flow. Uh, there are periods of time where you're not doing much because things are too far out or another member of the committee is handling something. And so there's really nothing for you to do. But as the conference draws near, things just kind of ramp up. And then it's kind of the day of, I, you know, I, I remember being at the conference the entire week uh, and getting little to no sleep because we were in the tracks handling everything and then helping with early morning setup and teardowns in the evenings as well. And so we were living at the hotel um, kind of helping with that. So uh, I suspect that part of it, but I, I think in general, it's less stressful this time around just because a lot of those things are handled. Like uh, Ben and I didn't need to be involved in searching for a venue. <laughs> um, that was all kind of decided and ironed out. And, yeah. and you know, we're not going to need to be involved in those types of decisions, which helps us focus. And we did give them suggestions of good venues in the area, but we didn't go to them personally. We didn't interact with their POCs at those various hotels. So we didn't really do that part of the work. We just provided here are some, here are a list of really good potentials. Nice, very cool. Mm -hmm. So it's not too bad now. No, no. So right now, I mean, right now we are in the 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 thick of of CFP CFT reviews, as both of you guys know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, he yeah. says that because we're we're, we're we're like. Well, I'll take the hate mail. I'm I'm dealing with that. Uh, you know, I'm on the committee to help approve. So if your stuff gets rejected, blame Abdullah, not me. <laughs> it's at CK Tricky on Twitter. Hands <laughs> are open. It's Abdullah, Ben, and Seth's fault, and nobody yeah. will them. So yeah, we're dealing with that, and then go ahead, Seth. No, I was just going to say, like, I mean, yeah, you're you're dealing with kind of the CFP or the the CFPs and the CFTs now, like rating them. So we're going to start. I'm sure we'll see a ramp up here pretty quick as far as marketing goes and everything else. Mm -hmm. um, like, what is it that you guys are looking forward to with this conference, right? Uh, like, I, I mean, I know you've seen some of the CFPs and things like that, but in general, what is it that you like about it, Ben? Um, honestly, I'm just trying to put on the best conference that I can. I mean, there are a couple of individual talks in there that I definitely do want to kind of set aside and like carve out a slot to, to, to watch them just because there's something which I might have only cursory knowledge in, or it might be like a really deep dive into something that I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. Uh, but Aside from that, I mean, I just enjoy being at these conferences and just hearing what some of the top researchers are doing and what kind of groundbreaking information is available. So I'm going to be trying to host this and manage it as best I can. And at the same time, also be my own attendee. Yeah. So, I mean, as we're getting towards the end of the episode, can you guys tell us a little bit? Let's promote AppSec DC. Let's, let's talk about global. I almost said AppSec. 
global absec dc so you yeah. know when when is it running you know keynotes all the relevant uh, information all right so our website is up right now it's dc.globalappsec.org uh registration is expected to open on july 8th um, we are in the middle of the cfp cft review process so unfortunately if you have a paper uh, it's closed right now so you can't really submit uh, but there are other conferences um uh, like, like you said, the AppSec Amsterdam is open through the end of the month. So if you want to try and get a trip out there, um, Abdullah mentioned that we have keynotes. We have uh, James Wickett, Carolyn Wong, Vandana Verma, a government keynote. And we're just trying to bring in as many people as we can and also play off our um, own local speakers as well to try and get as uh, uh, interesting talks for everyone. Um, yeah, there's the one the one thing I'll add the the thing that I'm really excited about. Um, so based upon the 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 submissions, we've been toying around with a uh, invite track, uh, which is pretty different from what we've typically done in the past for uh, uh, OWASP conferences. Um, this invite track is going to be um, individuals within various industries that that they can kind of speak upon their experiences of, of the AppSec challenges that they face that's unique to them and also kind of look forward to challenges that they can kind of see coming for them and really what they as, as industry leaders, um, what, what they really need out of us as a community. Um, and so it, it, you know, and, and these are going to be super senior people. Um, it it's a thing where typically people like that wouldn't submit to a CFP, uh, and so we're we're trying to get that invite track up. Once again, um, we're we're trying to sort that out based upon um, the submissions for the CFPs. Uh, but at least we would like to have have a few individuals kind of come and give those types of talks um, to kind of help us just in general as a community better understand what we need to do. Yeah. Awesome. And it I looks like Ben, you started, oh, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to type out the answer. So in the chat window, there was somebody asking, how does the blind review work? And it's much easier if I just say it. Yeah. Um, but it's a little bit different for the CFPs versus CFTs, where the CFPs, it's completely blind. So all we have is an abstract and a detailed outline. And then based off that, we read it, review it, try and group it according to a general category. And then there's uh, six different ratings per, um, it's either six or seven uh, per the CFPs, where it, each, um, each reviewer will give it a score and that score ranks from, a, it, it's more specific than this, but it's, it ranks from a minus three points to a positive three points. And so depending on the content in there, how well thought out the CFP is and how well the information is conveyed, that would obviously be ranked higher. And then based on that, all of the CFPs after it's reviewed by you know, your four or five people, then it will have its own scoring system. And then we'll try and prioritize that and use that to, uh, to determine what talks are rated the highest by the various reviewers. Yeah, the top X amount of talks uh, will get accepted. Right. 
and then it's completely blind. So I know, Abdullah, in one of the cases you kind of recognize based on the content that you thought, um, you know, you knew who it was, who, who that speaker was. And so you asked yourself to be removed from that personal review. Yeah. Um, but other than that, we have no idea um, whose CFP we're reviewing. And so you said the process is a little different for the CFTs, the trainings, mm -hmm. right? Um, yeah. And is there a specific reason for that? It's just a different format and there's a lot more content included. So there the, it's not quite as blind. So, you know, you can see the trainer's name. Um, sometimes they'll have an attached document with like the entire slide deck. So there's a lot more to review within a training itself than just a one hour talk. So you can't really get a good understanding for what the training will consist of based on like a one paragraph and then you know, a couple of bullet points. So you really need to dig into a little bit deeper of um, you know what specifics will be included, what types of labs there might be, screenshots if they uploaded the, the slide deck. And then for trainers, honestly, it is a little bit important to know who you're dealing with and to know whether or not they've, what their training background is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, to yeah, put that into perspective. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Seth. I keep doing it. I'm sorry. Keep my bad. You're, you're fine. Go ahead. You said for that. Well, that no, no, no. I was just going to say, like, when you've got, let's say, 30 potential speakers and you that, you know, you've got a ticket that's like a, when, when you're buying a ticket, let's say it's, I don't know, 500,000, whatever it is. Uh, so you've got your ticket to the conference. You can, like, choose, you can look at the tracks, you can see the speakers, you can choose who you want to go see. When you buy a ticket for training, like, usually that's a few couple thousand few thousand dollars it's just that one training and um you're gonna sit there for two or three days maybe maybe one day but you know usually two or three days so i i'm putting my opinion out on this but my opinion is you do need to vet i don't think it makes sense to do a blind review and call for training because i want to make sure that i have somebody who's quality trainer um, I know that if you've never given training at other conferences, you have no references, that makes it a little bit difficult. Um, but yeah, you can definitely, what's that? Oh, I was going to say not necessarily. I mean, the content, more so than anything else, the content really speaks for itself. And yes, obviously somebody who is well vetted, who, you know, gives gives uh, trainings at Black Hat, all, all these OWASPs, uh, all these B-sides, every all these various conferences would um, you know, be worthwhile, but just because somebody gives talks and included, uh, reviews from conferences doesn't necessarily mean that they might be rated higher. Oh, sure. Yeah. And that's not where I was kind of going with it. What I was going to say, when I, when I'm not talking, I'm not talking about getting people to buy the tickets or getting approved. What I mean more so is the delivery, like, more so is it enjoyable like if you got through the process great cool but if you're giving training like the content yeah the content's important but i'll tell you firsthand i think as a uh, like i say this because I, i've been a bad trainer before i've been new to training and i've given stuff that i'm not super proud of before um mainly because i just didn't have the experience and you learn and i think we had jim on or i know we had jim on but i i think it was jim i'm pretty sure it was jim that said you know, his training is definitely, there's like a focus on education, but there's also that focus on entertainment. Like there has to be to keep people engaged. So anyways, um, 
that's my kind of take on like why training should be well vetted because you're again paying a lot of money to somebody you're going to spend a couple days with you you would hope that they they've got good delivery cool um yeah i, th I think that, that that's basically the answer the questions but again so appsec dc or global appsec dc see i do the same thing right um it's what, what are the dates on that it's september 9th through the 13th yes um, so watch for the registration sorry ben go ahead the train is the 9th through the 11th and then the conference itself is the 12th and 13th yeah cool um, and then, uh, like the global OPSEC events are always really good. Uh, you know, in general, I think there's quite a few talks that have been submitted, right. Um, you know, like having run some like smaller local conferences, that's always the question is how good is the content that, it, that is submitted? Um, and it's, it's hard when you've only got 10 speaking slots and you only get like 12 papers submitted, right? Like you're like accepting 90% or 95% of the submissions, um, you don't always quite get that quality content that you can get when you have, you know, 50 speaking slots and you get 200 submissions, right? Yeah, just the quality is, is, is different, but um, yeah. So uh, look forward to it. Uh, obviously Ken and I are both, you know, planning on being there. We'll see how it goes. Um, but uh, yeah, thanks for coming on the show today. Like it's been super interesting to talk about all the things I know we're, you know, about 15 minutes over and that seems to be par for the course. <laughs> And we'll, we'll keep promoting as it gets closer though. Ken, did you have anything else? No, um, just definitely had a comment from um, one of the viewers uh, and uh, had mentioned that it's a slip, uh, it's a slippery slope to think like that. And so I was just going to say like, we can, um, I'm happy to do uh, to discuss that further. And if you have thoughts, we can bring it up on the next podcast and kind of respond to any thoughts because you know, you may not agree with sort of my take on it. Totally fine. Willing to have that conversation. But again, I want to just clarify, like, um, well, I don't think I need to. I think that was a fully thought out version, um, you know, on the, the training. Um, does anybody like have any before we jump off? I'm curious, like what? Because yeah. like it got a little quiet. I'm curious what other people's opinions are. Is it wrong for me to be like, nah, I want a quality speaker like or a quality trainer and sometimes you can only get that through like i don't know how to do it without references other than you know maybe yeah it's because yeah. it's not like somebody that hasn't had the opportunity to give training yet right like they may have content that's that's very good um but like you said ken with the whole hey half of teaching is actually entertainment right yeah. keeping people engaged you may have the most compelling topic in the world but if the delivery slips it's very difficult to actually teach that to someone else. Yeah. And, you know, just because you have a good grasp of, uh, or you have a good understanding of the topic, doesn't mean that you can teach it to somebody else. That's definitely a different skill set than, you know, doing some sort of web application assessment or, you know, mobile assessment or anything like that. So uh, like, I, I agree, but I also, I don't know what the best way is to actually find the people that are good at teaching. Right? Yeah. Um, so, so, I mean, I, you know, I, when reviewing the CFTs, I can tell you that, you know, my, my focus has been, um, how fleshed out are the ideas mm -hmm. and are they, is the outline 
really uh, matching, how well is it matching the topic that they're trying to teach? So if they're trying to teach like mobile security, right, or, or mobile pen testing, and they spend, it looks like from the outline, you know, they're they're just touching upon one or two of the hardcore tools that you could spend days on itself. I'm gonna be a little bit less inclined to rate them that high because, um, you know, it just kind of seems like they're glazing over certain topics that they really should be covering in depth uh, when they're trying to uh, portray that they're 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 going to deliver a a type of training. Um, so from understanding the content that's trying to be delivered, I, that's kind of what I look to uh, to make sure that 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 the training is fully fleshed out, that it's fully thought out, um, that it's going to be adequate, and that the people that are paying all this money are going to get as much as they can out of it, that they will walk away if it's if it's a web, web app pen testing course, they're gonna walk away and really be able to say, yeah, okay, cool, I learned a bunch of things and, and I can go and do web app pen testing decently well now. Yeah, yeah, so I, I, like, I don't know if there's a, a huge like disagreement there, Ken. I think it's more the it's it's hard to figure out who's an, who's an actual good trainer, right? I, I think from a CFT in general, all you kind of get is whether or not the topic is completely fleshed out and whether or not it makes sense. Uh, you know, uh, you can kind of go do some research on the on the person and actually see where they've done trainings in the past um, if that is helpful. Uh, but at the same time, I don't want to put too much into that because there is there are those in the industry or the, there are those that you want to give the opportunity to. So maybe, you know, if it's somebody that's never trained before, we don't give them a three day course right off the bat, right? You know, we stick with a one day course to actually see how it works. And if they shine there, then it's naturally going to, to be expanded, I guess. Um, or if they've given a lot of talks in the past and the talks are engaging, it's more likely that they're going to be engaging as a trainer. Um, I think there's other things that you can look at outside of, hey, they've given a training in the past and that's the only thing that we're rating that on. Yeah, so there's also feedback. I mean, you got to remember that, right? So so from a from a, a, an attendee perspective, uh, you know, we, we, we look at those reviews. We look at the reviews for every talk. Uh, we look at the reviews for every training. And so if there's a trainer, uh, you know, somebody paid money and, and the trainer once again said, oh, you know, we're going to teach mobile security and it was a complete waste of time. Um, you know, we, we see that feedback and, and that absolutely goes into account um, in the future when, when at least our committee is going to review uh, a submission by, by that person again. Yeah. Yeah. It comes yeah. Back. I mean, and honestly, I'd love to hear, you know, so you've got our different, you've got the Slack channel for absolute AppSec. You've got, our email, if you want to do it a little bit more privately, our email is absoluteappsec at gmail.com. Um, you can tweet us if you want to do it publicly too, it's whatever. But if you have some like, it doesn't matter if you agree, disagree, or if you're just saying like, here, here's some other ideas for eliminating, because the point is to eliminate bias, is it not? And I think that uh, Nancy, she brought up a good point, which is that... Um, yeah, that like we 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 want to eliminate. That's I think that that's part of the goal, right? Is eliminating bias by not necessarily saying like who is the the trainer. Um, so if you have thoughts on how to do that, how to eliminate bias without you know introducing a potentially not so great training, um, or if you have any other thoughts on this, yeah, tweet at us, hit up hit us up on Slack, 
uh, leave uh, comments in the video, however you decide to do it, email us, um, but reach out for sure. Cause we definitely would like the input. So Seth, anything else? No, I don't think so. Catch us online. Um, and obviously we'll continue the discussion next week. Uh, I don't even know who's on next week. Ken. Um, I don't know either. Let me look. Uh, <laughs> I, Oh, actually next week is currently going, going to be us. So that would be a Sweet. perfect time to circle back to this and sort of discuss some things. Um, or yes. discuss that topic. And there's some other topics I know we wanted to, 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 to delve into. We haven't done just a you and I in a while. So it's uh yeah. Cool. So it'll be us arguing as usual. Good. Got exactly. It. Okay. Well, thanks again to Abdullah and Ben. Thanks for joining us. Good luck, you know, flushing out the rest of global AppSec DC and we're looking forward to it. Thanks. Yeah. Guys. Thank you to the yeah. viewers. Thanks yeah. for letting us on. Yeah. Thanks everybody. All right. Take care. Bye.